All right. Well, hey, welcome everybody to our May 2022 Google User Group meeting for the Google Educator Group of Ohio. Uh, this is a monthly meeting where we take a look at everything new in Google from the last month, share Googly tips and tricks, and answer questions related to using Google tools in school. My name is Eric Kurtz, and I'm a technology integration specialist for the Stark Portage Area Computer Consortium or SPARK for short. We're an information technology center uh, serving schools in Northeast Ohio. Um, and I'm joined today by John. John, go ahead and introduce yourself to the group. Hello, everybody. Uh, John Mansell Pledel. I'm with the Northern Buckeye Education Council, and we serve as school districts uh, in the northwest corner of Ohio, so the other side of the state from Eric. And um, I'm looking forward to... Uh, uh, hearing what all you guys have to share with us. And um, I know Eric has a, a good agenda there, so I'm going to try and uh, uh, comment where necessary. But um, we're missing Stephanie today, uh, but she's certainly here in spirit. And um, we're looking forward to um, another um, <clears throat> content-packed GEG Ohio meeting. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate you being with us today, John. John is one of the four co-leaders. Um, sometimes we kind of switch in and out as to who all is here. So uh, you got me today and John. Uh, John mentioned Stephanie, who typically is with us, is not able to be with us today, and then Sarah Kiefer as well. I just really appreciate uh, everybody who does help out. And of course, uh, beyond the four of us as co-leaders, the big thanks to everybody who's watching right now, because you are what make all of this <laughs> work. So thank you for being here if you're watching live, and if you're watching the recording later. Thanks for taking time out of your day to do so. For those that are with us live today, please do use the chat feature in YouTube to introduce yourself, share where you're from, uh, and throughout the entire session, if you've got questions, throw them in there. If you've got a resource to share, please share it with the group through there. Now, you can also put content into our agenda document. So uh, if you do not have access to the agenda document yet, uh, you will want to open that up. I'm going to do a couple things. First of all, I'm going to copy the link and drop it right into the YouTube chat. So for those that are uh, live in there, you can use that link to get into the agenda document. For everybody else, easiest way to do this is just to go to the GEG Ohio website at bit.ly slash GEG Ohio. That'll take you to the website. And from there, we do have a link to our monthly meetings. And if you give a click on that, that's where you can find all of the necessary links. So here you can see, for example, it's today's meeting, May 26th. And there is the link to the agenda, as well as the live video that you're watching. Now you can see uh, the previous meetings, uh, they, they turn into recorded videos and the previous agendas filled with wonderful resources there. But for today's, that would be the way to get to this agenda document. It is editable. You are welcome to type into this document as well. There are some spots in here where that might make uh, sense. For example, in the upcoming events section, if you're aware of a conference or a training or some event that people may wanna take, uh, take part in, please go ahead and 
fill that in. Uh, further down, there's a show and tell section. We have a spot in there called GEG Community Show and Tell. If you've got something neat to share, a cool resource, a neat extension, a blog post, something that you've come across, please feel free to put that in show and tell. And there's a Q&A section, which looks like we're getting some good questions in there. Please do feel free to add questions into the Q&A section, as well as responses. If you see a question there and you can respond to it, that would be fantastic to go ahead and throw in your response there as well. Awesome. And Although um, I know we mentioned it each each meeting, I will mention this again, even though this is GEG Ohio, we are certainly open to anybody who has an interest in using Google tools in school. So uh, as I'm looking at the chat, I see we're not just uh, representing Ohio. We're not just representing the country. We're, we're international. <laughs> I see we've got uh, folks from Norway. We've got Canada. We've got, and of course, around the States. Oh, we've got India. That's fantastic. This is wonderful. It's and Eric, always we've got, we've got New Zealand. So oh. I, I acknowledge the Kiwis. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, as somebody that's lived in different places around the world, dealing with the time difference is, is, is quite a trip. So uh, I don't, it's a, uh, I think it's 12 hours time difference between us and them. Well, so it's already tomorrow there. Well, hey, no spoiler alerts telling us what happens tomorrow. So we'll just, you know, have to have to <laughs> let, let that be a surprise for us. Well, again, thank you, everybody who is here with us today. Uh, we really appreciate it, especially the expertise, the opinion, the perspectives that you bring to this. So thanks for being here. A little bit of housekeeping as we get started here. Uh, we've done our introductions. Uh, there is a section called important links. And uh, the one I want to draw your attention to there is the sign-in form. This is how I send out the certificates of attendance. So uh, if you would like to, please consider coming here to the second page under important links, giving a click on the shortened link there for the sign-in. Uh, this will give you a chance to fill in your information uh, and choose today's uh, uh, meeting. And then um, I will generate certificates of attendance later. I, I let everybody get those filled out. And then sometime later, I go back through and I generate those. That way uh, you can turn that in for PD hours. Uh, next up in the agenda, we do have our group updates. Just want to remind you that we do maintain a Google group and email distribution list uh, up to over 1,300 members. That's fantastic. It grew over 100 members since our last meeting. I changed this uh, number each, each meeting, and it was just over 1,200 last time. So uh, this is a fantastic way to stay connected in between the meetings. If you've got a question, if you've got a resource, if there's something you want to share and connect with others, You've got over 1,300 uh, Google-loving educators in that group, and we would encourage you to sign up and join that group. There's also a Facebook group if you uh, like to connect that way as well. And these, group, uh, these groups are going to be really important because chances are we probably won't have another meeting until next school year because when we hit summertime, typically we take June and July off from the GEG Ohio meetings. So this will probably be the last meeting until August. Uh, typically it's, you know, the last Thursday of the month. So we'll probably see you guys, not in June, not in July, but in August. Uh, who knows, possibly we could do something uh, during those other months, but chances are it'll probably be to kick off the school year. So uh, this is a great way to stay plugged in in between uh, those meetings so you can stay up to date on everything uh, in between those. Fantastic. 
All right, next up in our agenda, we do have a section on upcoming events. Now, a lot of these are Ohio specific because this is GEG Ohio, but not all of them. There are things in here that are virtual as well, so anybody can take advantage of these. John, I know you added the Create Conference to this. Would you like to uh, mention a little bit about that since you may I, have more information than I do? I did. It's, um, it's a conference that they have been putting on um, at, at various locations, probably for about the last I don't remember when the first one was, but it, I think it was like, uh, it might even say at the top there, I think it might have been, uh, I want to say about 2010, something like that. So, um, and the it, it's the brainchild of a gentleman called uh, Chris Hamady, uh, who is the tech director at Anthony Wayne Schools in Toledo. Um, and he has um, kind of uh, put this together uh, and it has now been moved and it's going to be, um, so I'm one of the committee members uh, and, and he has committee members uh, from all over uh, Northwest Ohio that are contributing to it. Uh, but it's a, it's a one day conference uh, with a focus on technology in the classroom, uh, on instruction and creativity uh, and hence the name create. Uh, they usually have a good um, uh, speaker that comes in to do a keynote uh, that and talks about, and I think they've got uh, the uh, the STEM teacher from Sylvania is going to be doing it this year, and I think uh, it, he'll be definitely worth seeing. Um, but there is uh, information there now. There is uh, there is a cost to attend. Uh, I believe it's uh, th either twenty five or thirty dollars, but it includes anyone that's been to Toledo knows the famous Tony Pecos. Uh, they make um, hot dogs and um, and they make uh, chili. And uh, it, it's pretty famous. Uh, anybody that watched, uh, I think it got a mention on the uh, TV show Mesh, because uh, Klinger uh, was actually from Toledo, Ohio. And, that's right. Um, so um, it, it gets a mention. So that's a little bit of local flavor there. Uh, you'll see some names uh, that will be recognizable in the uh, presenters, uh, including our own Stephanie um, is, is presenting one yeah, session. Chris, I Chris saw that. Yeah, I saw Stephanie's got one on um, controlling the chaos. Excellent. And then uh, Christy Hughes is, uh, she's one of my people. She works for Northern Buckeye. Uh, she's based in Cleveland, but she's doing a couple of sessions. Chris Malanga is doing a couple of sessions. Uh, I think uh, Troy Cummins might be doing a, a session as well. So, and then these are all other either tech directors or people of note from um, around Northwest Ohio. Um, it's great to see. Um, usually with the, uh, it's great to see it back in person again. I think that was the thing about it. Uh, we've been going to some of these events and we've gotten so used to virtual. Uh, there is a certain, um, and what, well, we, I guess we can talk about uh, uh, ITIP, Eric, and, and our experiences of that a little bit later on. But um, being back in person again is a different and um, it, it's got its own rewards and its own challenges. So uh, this is an in-person conference and I, I certainly encourage people um, if they're anywhere close within driving distance of Toledo, uh, Ohio, to think about uh, making a, a trip up there. It's on June the 2nd, uh, starts at 8.15 in the morning and will run until four in the afternoon. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for all the details on that. It's a conference I have meant to uh, and hoped to attend uh, probably for the last decade, and the stars have never aligned yet for it. Uh, June, you know, is, is sometimes a crazy month, and uh, I still do look forward to getting to uh, connect with that conference at some point in the future. 
Awesome. A uh, couple other things to mention in upcoming events. Um, on the virtual end of things, uh, Google is uh, running an event called the Anywhere School. They do this pretty much every summer. I can't think how many years back they've been doing this, but for several years, they've been doing the Anywhere School. And it's sort of their um, event to announce new ed tech Google-y tools and projects and features. Uh, so like they had Google I.O. Uh, this uh, or earlier this month, where it's more of the consumer side of things, the Anywhere School is more of the education end of things. So this is going to be on June 7th uh, or 8th. It's actually both, but they just do it at different times so that it can work for people internationally. Um, and what they're going to be doing is... Uh, uh, revealing and, and sharing lots of new updates that are coming uh, for schools who use Google tools. So for those of us um, in uh, North America, uh, June 7th is probably going to be a little bit easier for us. That's 10 a.m. Pacific, so that would be 1 Eastern here in Ohio. Uh, but there's also a June 8th, uh, 10 a.m. for folks uh, on the other side of the globe that might be a little bit easier for their schedules. Uh, so if you um, would like to uh, plug into that, I would definitely encourage you to do so. There's a It's a free registration, and then you can uh, watch that live and uh, check out some of the latest and greatest new things being uh, announced and released from Google uh, for the upcoming school year. So definitely plug into that. And I'm sure we'll be sharing uh, stuff like that as well. And I'll be sharing some stuff on my blog, but uh, uh, going straight to the source will be a great way to get all that info. The other thing I'll mention um, is just a reminder about the Spark EdTech Conference. Uh, we do this uh, annually. Uh, we are virtual. Uh, we've talked about you know, the, the benefits of face-to-face, -face, which, oh, I absolutely love being able to see folks face-to-face, -face. but there's also benefits to virtual. And so we are still virtual this year with the Spark Conference. Uh, it is August 5th. We typically do this the first Friday of August as a kickoff to the school year to get everybody excited and, and going back uh, to, to school. Um, registration is open and it's totally free. There's there's no, no charge for this at all. It's just a virtual conference. Um, the call for proposals has technically closed, but since I am still reviewing them, you could probably still sneak one in. <laughs> I left the form open uh, since I'm still working through all of those. We got so many amazing proposals. I'm so excited to, to, to reveal all the great presentations we're going to be having. Uh, so definitely do check out the Spark Conference uh, and, and you know join us uh, as well as uh, hopefully some of you will be presenting for us with that as well. I don't have details on these other ones, but the links are in here. So please do check out any of these other upcoming events that catch your eye. Good stuff. All right. Oh, hey, thanks, Maria. I see uh, a nice comment in the chat saying that last year was the first Spark conference. and was the best free ed tech training uh, she had attended. So that is encouraging. I really appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, John, let me know as we go through if you do see any questions or comments that I miss in the chat. And uh, we're going to, though, go ahead and switch into one of the big portions of our meeting that we do each month, which is what's new in Google since the last meeting. Since our last meeting was the tail end of April, there was one more thing that snuck in after that. But then most of the things here are things that I've seen happen uh, or be announced during May. Um, I have uh, 
bolded the ones that I thought might be good to chat about. But if you guys see something I'm skipping over, if there's one of them here that looks interesting to you, definitely follow the links. Uh, these links will give you info on all of these. Or feel free to throw something into the chat or a question if you would like us to talk about some of the ones that we might uh, be skipping over. All right, let's get on into it. So. Um, the first thing to mention about what's new in Google um, is a uh, upcoming uh, feature for Chromebooks that had been called the Projector app, and it uh, kind of got a new name and some new tutorial videos. So there are two blog posts from Chrome Unboxed. Uh, this first one, I think, was from uh, late April, and then there's a second one that came a little bit later in May, so May 10th. And so here's the idea. Chrome Unboxed, great website, great blog. One of the things that they do there is they try to peek ahead and see what new features are coming uh, to the Chrome operating system. And one way of doing that is to change the, um, the, uh, the channel of your Chromebook from the stable channel to the beta channel, and maybe even up to the Canary channel. Uh, and so there, if you're not familiar with this, with a Chromebook, you can go into your settings and you can say, okay, I want to have my Chromebook using what is called the staple channel, which is the, the, the official current release from Google. I think we're on 102. Uh, Chrome OS 102 is the version we're on right now. Well, every, what, like four weeks, Google rolls out their next version, 103, 104, and so forth. Well, you can pop your Chromebook into the beta channel and move up one version. So like you could be on like 103 um, or you could go to the Canary channel, which is like, you know, the very experimental one that'd be like, you know, 104 or whatever the next version is out. And so some of these brave people who like to live on the edge, they will try to explore what new features are coming. And so these two blog posts talk about uh, a new feature that they have seen in the Canary channel. And uh, it was called the Projector app, but they say now they're seeing it being renamed simply as Screencast. And so if you want to learn more about this, definitely check out their info here. I'll just give you the briefest of a summary here. So it appears from these articles that what we're looking at here is a screen recording tool. Um, feels a lot like some of the screen recording tools that we're probably familiar with, Screencastify, Loom, Screencast-O-Matic, things like that, but one that is built in directly to the Chrome operating system that, uh, as you can see here in the pictures, allowing you to record your screen. Here's a little video inset of the person, as well as the ability to do annotations and a auto-generated transcript over here. Uh, obviously, a lot of this may change between Canary and Stable, so always take this stuff with a grain of salt. You know, these are uh, you know new features that they're exploring, and uh, hopefully we'll get more details. Maybe this would be something that we'll learn more about with the Anywhere School event coming up here in early June. Uh, hopefully so. That would be really awesome to see what this uh, all fleshes out into. So uh, keep, keep an eye on that. And thanks to uh, Chrome Unboxed for their early sneak peek into some of these new features that are headed our way. My quick comment on that would be, um, as teachers, I think we need to be looking to see how we would use these features to have our students become more creative um, in the classroom. And so if they have the ability then to make screencasts directly on a Chromebook, which is really what we're talking about here, or annotating their screenshots, 
then um, we can be changing the kinds of assignments, the kinds of assessments that we're having them do um, so that they can leverage these kinds of tools. You know, John, that, that's so true. There could be some schools out there that maybe don't for a, a myriad of reasons, a myriad of reasons may not want to enable Loom or Screencastify or Screencast-O-Matic. I, I love all those tools. I think they're fantastic, but I get it. You know, from school to school, there could be reasons to have something that's native, that's part of the operating system can can help level that playing field and say, okay, you know, this just is part of the Chrome operating system. And you're right, there, there's so many ways that um, we could use screen recording, that our students could use screen recording, even if it's just student voice, the idea of letting students be able to explain something in their own words. I was a math teacher. Uh, I taught middle school math for seven years. Um, I've said before, uh, rather than having a student do 24 problems that are all very similar on solving two-step equations and turning in a piece of paper to me with their answers, uh, I could see a lot of value in them doing two problems where they record themselves explaining step-by-step step how they solved it. Because then I can see every step of the way, okay, what decisions are they making? Are they making mistakes? How, you know, what is their approach to solving this problem? So letting them record themselves, explaining how they did something, putting things in their own words, uh, that goes a long way to getting a better understanding of our students, uh, you know, knowledge and their skills and their understanding of the concepts and can address academic integrity questions. You know, that's, that's something that comes up sometimes. People go, well, you know, oh, what's to stop a student from, you know, copying an answer from some other student if everything's digital, it's so easy. Well, if they need to explain it in their own words and record their own voice <laughs> explaining something, that can go a long way to help with academic integrity. But then, yeah, just creativity as well. Uh, uh, letting students be able to create video as an option uh, rather than just writing a paper or making a slideshow or making a website, that goes into now student choice. So we got student voice and we've got student choice. Like, okay, here's another option. You can make a video and very easily do so now uh, right from your Chromebook. I don't know. Any other thoughts on that, John? Well, uh, you're going to you have a, that up. We have another update, um, I think, when you get to later, which is um, that um, it looks like you're going to be able to make annotations of screenshots on a Chromebook. So you are right. We might as well go ahead and just grab that right now. That one is further down. And so, yes, very similar to this, uh, instead of video, this is now screenshots. And so this is uh, from uh, Chrome Unboxed as well. Thanks again for, you know, all the sneak peeks they're giving us as they're poking around at things in the Canary Channel. And so in this, they have looked into the Canary Channel and they've seen some settings for enabling a screenshot tool that not only lets you take screenshots, which we already certainly have the ability on a Chromebook, we, you know, we've had that for years and years and years to take a screenshot. So that, that part's not new. It's the fact that after you take the screenshot, if you take a look here, you can see this, um, this bar that you're getting here. Let me zoom in a little bit here and see if we can make it bigger. You get this annotation bar. So uh, there's an image. The, uh, the, the, the new thing is the image editor that would come with this, that after taking a screenshot, 
being able to go in and do some more sophisticated image editing. This looks very much like Nimbus. I don't know if you guys are familiar with, there's a lot of great screenshot tools, but I like one called Nimbus. And this really reminds me a lot of that. I'm seeing the ability to add shapes and arrows and lines, freehand drawing, emojis, text, cropping. Uh, so very nice. Uh, that would be, uh, again, back to the idea of if there's a school who maybe doesn't feel comfortable enabling Nimbus or whatever the screen shot annotation tool is, looks like soon, hopefully, uh, we're going to have this as something that is just, again, built right into Chrome OS, allowing a student to take a screenshot and then do annotations right on top of it. And, and these are Love tools it. that uh, oftentimes teachers will find very useful in, in um, creating uh, materials to put up in Google Classroom or yes. uh, to present in an online um, learning situation. And uh, it just shows that uh, the commitment that Google has made to uh, improving the Chromebooks, which are a, a much more affordable device for schools to get for both the teachers and the students. So uh, I think that it's really interesting to see. And then the, the convergence of features between what you can do in the web, uh, in the web browser versions, the Chrome versions, and what you can do um, on the mobile versions. And, and that was uh, that was the topic of uh, that one uh, session that you did on right. what, you, what you can do in the, um, in the Android version or the iOS version of Google Classroom right. versus what you can do in the web version. Exactly. Um, and, you know, this is good. This is, I guess, if somebody had to say, you know, what do you feel is a weakness in the Google suite of tools? What is an area that needs some growth in Chrome OS? Um, I probably would be quick to point out media, you know, uh, image editing, video editing, things like that. We're typically turning to another tool. We're turning to WeVideo, we're turning to Screencastify, we're turning to Nimbus, we're turning to something else. And I'm so glad we have those tools. I have loved using every single one of those. Uh, but to see Google starting to build some of these features right into the operating system, um, that is important. Uh, that is uh, addressing a need, again, for those schools who maybe are not going to be relying on, you know, uh, third-party tools for various reasons, or it's the simple fact that, yeah, third-party tools, sometimes things change, you know, and a company goes out of business or they change their pricing model and, and things like that. So to have this built in is really going to be helpful. I'm one of the hot, to those. One of the hot topics that, that, that we're looking at right now um, in my organization, but I think generally we're starting to look at a across the state and, and hopefully others in other parts of the country and across the world are aware of it, but the whole idea of student data privacy. And uh, when you use those third-party tools um, and your students are logging in and their information uh, is, is uh, taken from their, uh, using their Google accounts, but that information, uh, you need to make sure that there is uh, integrity as far as what happens to that information and what is being stored and being able to use a local tool that you have control over is, is going to be preferable to using a third-party tool every time. That's a really good point, John. Thank you for bringing that up because uh, I think that's something that I don't think about often enough. And uh, that makes a lot of sense for schools as well for the data privacy uh, point of view. So good stuff. Excellent. 
All right, uh, next up, uh, we skipped over, but we'll just do a little backtrack here. Um, back at the beginning of May, we had a, a, an article from Google talking about the new table templates and drop down chips in Google Docs. So um, Google has added uh, some additional uh, uh, table templates. And uh, probably the easiest way to show these is I'm going to pop over to uh, another Google Doc here and I'll demonstrate these uh, real quick for us. Um, if you're in a Google document and you go to the insert menu, uh, this building blocks section um, has been added over the last few months. And we've seen some of these features previously, like uh, the building blocks where you can add meeting notes or you can add an email draft. And we've talked about both of these in previous GEG Ohio meetings. Well, those have been around for a few months. Now, Google has announced that they've added some new building blocks. And so in a Google document, if you go to the insert menu and building blocks, you'll see four new pre-made building blocks. Uh, so we'll go ahead and insert each of these. The product roadmap looks like this. So we'll insert the product roadmap. There it is. Here's the review tracker. Let's insert that one. And then here is the project assets. We will insert that one. And finally, the uh, launch content tracker. Let's insert that one as well. Now, these are basically just pre-made uh, tables. So, you know, there's nothing magic about the fact that, you know, this is just like a table. You, you could have done this. You know, you could have come here and you could have said, oh, I want to insert a table. And you could have said, I want a table that's, you know, so much by so much and boom, you know, you could have absolutely made this. What's new about this is that this is being combined with this new feature that they're that they're uh, they've added in, which are calling drop down chips. And so what you're seeing here is that in this case for the project roadmap, we have these little drop down buttons that if we click, we can get these different options. In this case, not started or in progress or launched. Um, and so that's really the new feature here is the drop down chip option uh, to be able to add those right into a document. Now these. For examples that they built in certainly could be, you know, could be valuable for schools, but I think they're probably a little bit more geared toward business, you know, a, pro a product roadmap, a review tracker, project assets, you know, content tracker. Um, but the idea can certainly be applied to, to anything. And so, um, as an example of this, um, I did, and again, we're jumping around a little bit here, so apologize uh, for that. But um, if we go down to the show and tell section, the very first thing I've got posted in there was I decided, huh, what could we do with these new drop down chips? Now that we've got this option to add a drop down menu right inside of documents, and I would love to hear what other people have done with this. But an idea that came to my mind was, huh, this would be a neat way to do a close reading activity. Uh, if you're not familiar with close reading, close reading is when you uh, take a, uh, a text and then you pull words out of the text, leaving blanks in its place and typically giving a uh, like a word bank. And the student's job is to read through the paragraph or paragraphs and basically use context clues and try to decide, okay, well, what words should go into the blanks? What should go in place of what got taken out? And, you know, I mean, this is not a new activity at all. I mean, close reading has been around for, you know, decades. Um, but I thought, huh, well, this could be something that could be done right here inside of a Google document now. And so the idea was to take a uh, take some text, 
and basically pull some words out of it. Go through and decide which words you want to pull out of your text. And you could literally pull them down, you know, select them and drag them down to a word bank. And then after doing that, we could use these drop-down chips. And so the way the drop-down chips work, um, I'll show you what how, how these work. If, if I were to come here, if I were just to say, you know, whoops, this is just a test. All right. So let's say if I wanted to take the word test and remove that, and instead I want to put, you know, a drop-down in its place, what I can do is I can go insert drop-down. When I click insert drop-down, I can either choose any of the pre-made drop-downs that are already in that document, or I can create a brand new one right on the fly. I can name it however I'd like to, and I can put in all of the words. So is it, you know, this is just a test, this is just a sample, uh, this is just an example. You know, I could have, you know, whatever words I, I want in there. I could even have my first option be something like um, select, you know, and then now when I do that and hit save, now I have a drop down menu here. When you click on it, you can see test, sample, example. You can choose the word you want to pick from there and say, oh, this is just a test. Uh, and so this idea of being able to add these drop down chips. Uh, I applied to a closed reading example. Um, and in this case, it was about, uh, I grabbed an article about frogs and I pulled out some frog words there. Uh, and so you can go through and add those dropdowns now back into your text. Um, and once you add a dropdown, once you can just reuse it, you don't have to like recreate it over and over and over again in the same document. You can either reinsert it or just copy and paste it. And so here's the final example. I'll go ahead and open up the final product, what this looks like when it's all done here. So here would be the, the finished version. So I had my original text. I pulled words down into the bottom here as a word bank. And again, you don't have to do the word bank. The students could just pick from the drop down and figure it out. But I think the word bank helps track things a little easier. Um, and so now they're like, frogs can live on land and in fresh, well, I think water, you know, context wise, water sounds like the right answer there. And then because I did a word bank down here, they could even come down and check off the words down below. And again, there's no connection between those two. Uh, choosing water up here does not do anything down here, but because I made the word bank, eh, I just used the checkbox feature so that they could check them off as they go. Um, and so, you know, they cannot blank in salt water, they cannot survive in salt water, sure, you know, and there you go. So as we go down through this, they can start filling this out uh, as they fill out their close activity and check off the words uh, down there below. Uh, so that was just a thought when I saw this, um, this announcement that we now had drop down chips, as they call them, as well as, you know, some of these sample uh, templates that they've, these building blocks they provided. Um, that was a thought that came to mind, but I'd love to hear other ways this could be used. So I don't know, John, if you have ideas, if you've seen something else in the chat, um, it just seems like anytime Google creates something uh, as educators are like, hmm, how could we use this? You know, we try to think of uh, an educational twist on it. I, I'm somewhat curious as to how they came up with the idea of calling them chips. 
So the chip <laughs> thing seems to be um, a theme for any time we're adding in um, one of these interactive elements. So like when you do the at thing and you decide you're going to, you know, at somebody or you're going to, you know, put in a, um, you know, in this case, like here's a link to my ELA uh, resources. They call these chips. Um, they call in like if you add a person in, uh, like if I were to put in, you know, myself, they call that a, a person that's a, a people chip or a person chip, uh, you know, um, anytime you're doing these little, or like a video, um, if you, if you put in a video link, you can turn it into a video chip. So that seems to be the term that they've been using to talk about these little interactive, uh, uh, links. So again, yeah, like for example, if we were to grab the link for our video today, uh, here's our, here's our video, Oh, do, 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 we'll grab our, oh, even if I just, well, if I just click on our video link here, see how it says chip here at the bottom. If I say, let's replace this with a chip, it now turns it into a friendlier looking uh, link there instead of being the, the full uh, uh, URL link there. So yeah, so chip seems to be what they've gone with. That seems to be the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the verbiage that they're using to describe these kind of interactive um, things you can click on with that. Well, I, I'm sure I can speak for the people. I, I know it would be the same in New Zealand, but in Australia and New Zealand and, and England, <laughs> chips are what you have with fish, and you, we would call them <laughs> French fries here in the United States. And then what we would call chips here, which are um, potato chips, they would call crisps. So, right. um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, just we just needed another meaning for the word chips. That's, that's all. Very good. Well, and of course, there's some of us who still remember the true meaning of chips with Eric Estrada, right? Oh. <laughs> now, yes. come on, who gets that? <laughs> who gets that reference here today? I mean, that's the chips to rule them all, you know. <laughs> so, um, for those who do not know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the um, the, the show uh, California Highway Patrol, uh, American Drama Series. Here it is, Chips. Yeah. <laughs> For those that don't remember Chips, 1977. <laughs> there we go. Yes. We're dating ourselves, Eric. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, that's great. All right. So, um, uh, um, looks like we've got um, some great, some great chat in, in some great comments in the chat about uh, ideas for how this could be done. Uh, people are mentioning rubrics. I love that. That's yeah, absolutely. That'd be great for your own custom rubrics. Flexible grouping of students. I like that idea. Project-based learning choice boards. Thanks, guys. A lot of neat ideas popping up in there. Uh, so, yeah, let's keep an eye out and see how people take the drop-down uh, tool and start doing uh, some other fun things with it. Oh, uh, Aaron just had Aaron just had to say some of us were not born in 1977. So thank you for reminding us of that, Aaron. We appreciate we appreciate that. <laughs> Oh, all right. All right. Fantastic. Well, so it looks let's... like you were up to uh, the next one you've got highlighted is require email verification to book appointments in Google yes. Calendar. All right. So next up. Um, so I don't know, about two months ago, Google rolled out a new option for booking appointments in Google Calendar. In the past, we had appointment slots. And those were great. 
but they had some restrictions. Uh, to use appointment slots, you you had to uh, have a, a Google account. And uh, that's fine. That's great. A lot of people have Google accounts, but not everybody does. And so it, it sometimes would put a little bit of a limitation on the ability to really leverage appointment slots, especially like if, let's say, a teacher wanted to do a parent-teacher conference scheduling system. Well, not every parent, some parents don't have Google accounts. They, you know, they certainly have a, an email address, but it may not be a Google uh, address. Um, and so what Google did in the last couple of months was they started use, rolling out appointment scheduling. And so rather than appointment slots, appointment scheduling really was a more robust system that was much more open and felt a lot like you can book me or other type of commercial solutions for saying, hey, here is my availability. You can click a link and you can fill out your info and you can book a, an appointment with me, which again, I think is perfect for like parent-teacher conferences, but could be used for office hours, could be used for a lot of things. Well, one thing that was missing from it was uh, the uh, ability to uh, make sure somebody is not uh, uh, spamming it and pretending to be somebody else and just going in and, you know, selecting some slots. So now they have um, given the option to say, uh, you have to be validated to actually fill out one of these booking forms, either by being logged into a Google account, or again, if you don't have a Google account, that's okay. Having a PIN code sent to the valid email address that you provide. So when a person comes along and says, hey, I want to sign up for the 5.30 p.m. parent-teacher conference slot, awesome. They can still do everything like normal, but now if we say we want email verification, they're gonna to need to put in a valid email address and we'll send them a PIN number that then they go to their email and type that PIN in to confirm that it really is them. Very normal. I mean, I, I think we all deal with that. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I fill something out and you know, I'll get sent a PIN and I have to type it in to, to show that it really is me. So I think that's an important feature. I'm glad they added that. So this is nothing earth shattering, but I think it's an important piece of the puzzle to make appointment scheduling really a robust calendar scheduling tool um, for uh, parent-teacher conferences and other um, events like that. Yeah, good stuff. Excellent. Next up. Okay, so the next couple here, uh, anything that's marked May 11th. All of these are part of Google I.O. So Google I.O. is their, I think I mentioned this earlier in our meeting, it's Google's annual conference. Well, I guess it's a conference, yeah, their annual conference where they announce all sorts of new things, but it's more consumer oriented. Sometimes we pick up a couple of cool education things in it, but for the most part, it's more like, okay, you know, for consumers, for, you know, for developers, here's the new stuff that's coming out. Whereas the Anywhere School is going to be more geared toward education. Having said that, we do pick up some neat little things here and there. And so I did pull together just a couple of posts from IO um, that I thought were worth mentioning. Um, so the first one that I pulled out talked about ways that artificial intelligence is being integrated deeper and deeper into Google Workspace. And it mentions about seven different things, but a couple of them caught my eye. One was just the fact that in Google Meet, 
they're going to be using AI to help improve the video in Google Meet. So for all of us who use Google Meet, uh, Portrait Restore is an AI technology that if you're in a, a dimly lit room, it can help uh, enhance your image automatically. Uh, and then there's the one called Portrait Light, which is also a uh, AI feature that allows you to move to seriously drag around on the screen a pretend light <laughs> and it will change the light on your face so like there's not really a light there you're just actually draw dragging this circle around on on the google meet screen and it is lighting your face <laughs> so again if you're in a because i mean it happens sometimes we're not in the perfect environment we may have to jump on a call and if you're in a school you may be grabbing you know uh uh, an office or uh, a closet somewhere so you can jump in and do a quick meeting. This can help improve those. Other things they mentioned in here that I thought were worth mentioning was the auto summaries that are being added to spaces. Uh, the auto summary tool got added to docs a while back where it reads through the entire document and gives you a blurb about what that document's about. Spaces are now getting the same thing. It will, uh, the AI will read through all the conversations and give you a quick summary of what's been mentioned recently. Um, and then they also mentioned about automated transcriptions coming to Google Meet so that after a meeting is over, everybody will get a, um, you'll get a, a Google document with a, a list of the transcription of what everybody said during the meeting. So if you weren't able to attend or if you need to review, review back through it, um, you can read that. And that's another AI powered tool that is coming later this year. So among the other things they mentioned, I thought several of those had some value for schools that we might be like, oh, that's, that's great. You know, those are, those are helpful. Um, and then uh, this is something that uh, they mentioned last year as well. Um, Google has their Lambda um, AI, which is a conversational AI. And last year, I think we talked about this last year, it was the original Lambda. They now have Lambda 2, the next version that they are demonstrating. And it's not that this is something that you know, it's going to turn right around and be used in the classroom tomorrow, but it's more of previewing the power of where AI is going and developing. And so if you look through this blog post, what I think really caught my attention was when they were showing how well Lambda is getting at understanding questions and being able to form very intelligent responses. So for example, the, the well, let's open this up and I don't know if I can make this bigger. Yeah, there you go. That's bigger. We can see that better. So like in this case, they, they had the imagine option where you could type in a prompt. In this case, they said, well, it's going so fast. We're going through all of them. Uh, but for the one that was the imagine, uh, they typed in, you know, imagine that you're at the bottom of the ocean. And Lambda was able to basically say, okay, well, here it is. If you're the deepest part of the ocean, Lambda said, okay, this is what it's like. And it described what it would be like to live in the ocean. Or the next one was, if I want to start a vegetable garden, Lambda was able to say, here you go. Here are the steps to do that. Or come up with a dog band name, okay? Uh, and so there it is generating that name on the fly. The point behind this is, this is not an AI that has been trained on those particular topics. So this is different than let's take, for example, AlphaGo, when they took the AI, they trained it how to play the game Go. Well, it was trained just on that game Go and it learned how to play the game and it knew all the rules for that, but it was limited to that domain, to that realm. Whereas Lambda, 
basically it's pulling on all of the knowledge that Google has access to through you know, everything that Google has indexed. And so you can really ask it pretty much any question and it will give a reasonably intelligent response. I guess what I get excited about this is how can how is this going to affect education? So I do want to throw that out to everybody. I would love to hear from people who are on the call right now, people watching, throw it in the chat if you've got ideas. John, if you've got thoughts on this. Where, I, where, where I'm thinking about a lot of this is the idea of AI being able to come alongside teachers and students and to provide that additional assistance. The more generalized the AI can get, the more it is able to take a unforeseen question, pull content from everything on the internet and be able to put together a reasonable answer, the more this means we can have a partner in our classroom, that if a student is needing additional support or resources on a topic they're struggling with, yes, we certainly want to be able to help them with that. But if there's 25 students and only one of us, what if the AI is that extra partner who then comes alongside the student and says, oh, you're struggling with adding fractions. Here you go. These are the main steps for that. Or here's a video that helps with that. Or here's a resource to help illustrate that. Um, or, you know, um, if a student is uh, completing an answer, so they've they've written their answer to an essay question. What if the AI comes alongside us and helps in the grading of it, that the AI reads through it and helps identify potential areas. Maybe it's a step before the student turns it into us. You know, maybe the AI is giving them feedback or maybe AI is helping us to identify areas of weakness. That's what I'm really interested in is the ability for technology to partner with us. I, I do a, a keynote presentation where I talk about being a bionic educator, uh, that we should not be afraid of the, you know, the, the march of AI and how it's getting more and more powerful, but embrace it, realizing that it can help us become better teachers. It can help our students become better learners if we use it in conjunction with what we're doing. So we can do what we do best and the technology can help fill in some of those gaps. I'm thinking, differentiation, individualized um, uh, instruction for students or, uh, you know, personalized responses to them. I don't know. John, think, what, what are you thinking about when, this when you When you tie this technology with voice recognition uh, and text-to-speech, um, and even um, my daughter who's in kindergarten uh, wants to know the answer to a question. Now, she's not going to be able to type a question like you can see here, but she can say, um, uh, Alexa, what is the, um, how deep is the Mariana Trench? And Alexa will give her the answer. And so she knows that she can ask that question. And I think, uh, again, even the, for the younger students, being able to interact with technology uh, in a way that they're comfortable with, they're not able to type, they're only barely reading at that point, uh, uh, but uh, they their speech is fairly well developed by the time right. they're five and six years old. Um, they don't need to miss out on being able to find out the answer to a question. Uh, but then, then on the, the flip side, uh, I think one of the funniest things that you can read, the memes that are going around are things like that where you have AI write somebody's, um, um, what do you call it, epitaph or... Um, uh, <laughs> 
like a eulogy <laughs> a eulogy and yeah. and uh, so they just make something up and they're hilarious so it's it's almost like uh when uh when uh, texas speech was in its early stages and you had all those autocorrect fails right um, that's what uh, uh kids are looking at now and um and and getting a kick out of what uh AI thinks uh, might be uh, somebody's uh, what they did in their life. And uh, it's hilarious. Right. That's a really good analogy, John, when you talk about, think about how we take for granted voice recognition. So um, it's been several years uh, ago, but Google had set a, um, a goal of 95% accuracy. They said that that was what they considered to be, you know, human equivalent. If you could get to 95% accuracy, that was awesome. And they hit that several years ago. And now we just take it for granted. We think if we go into docs and we click on voice typing and we talk, it types up what we say. If we talk to our phone, it knows what we're saying. But you're right. Go back 10 years. And my goodness, it was it was a mess. You know, if you use voice transcription on your voicemails, you're like, what is this? It was nowhere close to what it should have been. That's a good analogy that, you know, as AI keeps moving forward, we're now going, you know, we're, we're starting to head into this new zone here where this is going to become normal, that you can literally just talk to the AI, ask it a question and get a very intelligible response that understands what you're asking and is providing valuable information to you, not just how deep is, Mar like, notice, like you said, you know, how deep is the Mariana's Trench? Okay, that is a factual question. But instead, the question that was asked here was imagine that you're in the deepest right. part of the ocean. And so it's not just saying the deepest part of the ocean is the Mariana's Trench. It is that blah, 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 blah. It's saying this is what it's like to be there. We're, we're, we're now, it's, it's, it's a new level. We're, we're moving on to the next level of understanding here. Uh, and we're going to see some more examples. This is not, uh, it's coming later in the, in the agenda. We're, we're getting close to it. There was another thing Google uh, posted the other day that I, I just, I think, I keep thinking I'm not going to get my mind blown and then I get my mind blown. <laughs> uh, so we'll put a pin in that and we'll, we'll come back to it. Um, Peggy George said in the chat, this is mind boggling. I'm with you there, Peggy. I really, and, but I'm so excited to see where this can go because one of the things I think we, there's a lot of things we struggle with in education. We've got, and I'm so I'm not here to, to try to oversimplify things. I'm not here saying this is the, there's a lot of things that we face as challenges, but, you know, certainly one of them is a teacher trying to provide quality interaction and support for 125 students or more, or whatever the case might be. Um, there's been the promise for many years Technology is going to help. Technology is going to help. Technology is going to help. It needs to get to this level where the AI becomes this powerful to really start to see that real that that help where this where the tech where the AI becomes a classroom assistant becomes uh, a support that really can provide. And, and we're going to see a good example of this. Um, practice sets. Uh, I know uh, I did a blog post not too long ago on practice sets, and I'm sure we're going to see this 
oh, where is practice sets at here? How long ago was that? I didn't think it was that long ago, was it? Um, introducing practice sets, there it is. Uh, so back in March, um, I know we'll hear more about this for sure at the Anywhere School, but practice sets is that new tool for classroom where when a teacher creates questions for the students, Google's AI analyzes the question, figures out what, what, is the, uh, what are the learning skills that are being covered, and then surfaces blog posts, videos, and resources to go along with the question to provide assistance for the students. This is the type of early phase of this AI that is now coming along and saying, okay, you can, you can build the questions and now the students can get help when they're filling out that question, when they're completing it, they can click on these AI or AI surfaced um, you know, resources, these videos and these ad additional resources to help them if they get stuck. So I think the, the idea of disruption that is this is going to cause uh, in some classrooms, especially uh, looking at that one in a math classroom, I called call to mind um, when I first discovered Wolfram Alpha and was explaining to teachers what it was and what it could do. And the fact that really the homework that they were assigning to their kids, uh, if you could have AI basically show you what the steps are, that they really needed to rethink what their, what their strategies were. And, and so back to our discussion about making a video, if you can have a student explain to, to you how to solve an equation, uh, that, that um, serves as a, a knowledge check. And then if you need them to do drill and practice, then there are all kinds of places where they can go to do that. And you can separate out those two things. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, let's keep going because we, we do have a lot of other really cool things to see here. I'm going to close out a couple of my tabs. Oh, it always happens. I get, I get way too many tabs open. So we're going to close out a couple of these um, because uh, the next, uh, again, we'll, we'll get to a little bit more AI here, but we'll, 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 we'll try to stay in order. <laughs> I know I've been jumping around a little bit. Uh, the last thing to mention on Google IO uh, is they did have a nice summary article with a hundred things that were announced at IO. So if you are looking for the quick rundown of everything else that was announced, these were the things I thought had the most educational impact, but you can see all hundred things that they announced there. All right. Uh, next up, hey, Google Sites. We have, uh, we have a new uh, deadline. It has been pushed back once again. Classic Google Sites uh, seems like it uh, ha will hang around for a little bit longer. So now we have until December 1st of this year to migrate our classic Google Sites. I believe the most recent deadline had been this summer. I think it was June, end of June, start of July was going to be uh, the end of it. Now, oh, it was previously June 1st. Oh, okay. So it was, it would have been in a few days. Uh, and so I was converting all of my old sites over because I still had some classic ones hanging out there that has been pushed back to December. So if you need a little bit more breathing room, you do have another six months now to get your Google sites converted from classic over to uh, the new Google sites. So definitely take advantage of the extra time you've got there and get those converted over. Uh, next up, 
Another, a lot of AI in this month, a lot of AI. Next up, uh, a new uh, tool from Google. Now this one is aimed at job seekers, but I could really see this being interesting for high school students when we're talking about careers and preparing for, you know, heading out there and doing interviews, whether it's for a job uh, or an internship or whatever the case might be. So Google has released a new AI tool called Interview Warmup. And the idea is you head out to the website and you get to practice being interviewed. And so the way it works is uh, the uh, computer is going to ask you some questions and you're going to give your answer. And you can just hit the microphone button and start talking and it will listen to everything you have to say. And then after it hears that, it will then give you the transcription of that and it will go through and start to give you some feedback based upon your response. And so you can go in and see, you know, how many job related terms did you use? What were your most used words? Are there certain talking points uh, that uh, seem to be coming up a lot in your, uh, in your answer there? So you can get insights about the things that you said in your pretend interview. And, uh, then after that, it gives you a chance to practice again. You can use the same questions. Say, I'm going to take another shot at that or get brand new questions. Um, so there you go. Here's AI again, but a great chance for you to be able to uh, practice some interview questions and improve your skills with that. If that's something that anybody, whether it's a student or an adult, needs to work on. So I thought that was a neat one there. And then here's the one that really blew my mind. Okay, so, all right. So the next one is Google demoing a new AI-powered text-to-image generator. Now, I think it's, I think it's pronounced imagine, uh, but it's like image with an N on the end of it. But I believe imagine is, is how we would pronounce this tool. So here's the idea. What you do with this, now this tool, you're not able to use it yet yourself because they're still working on, uh, I guess, preventing abuse. Let's put it that way. The tool works. It absolutely works. They just don't want people misusing it. So they're still working on all of that. But the idea is you simply give the AI a description. You say, I want a picture of blah, 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 blah and it literally creates the picture. So I've got a couple of different resources here. One takes you out to the Imagine or the Imogen, uh, however you wanna say it, website. And here it gives you the details behind how the tool works, but then it also gives you some demonstrations. And basically what you'll see here is these, this is what they typed in. They typed in these descriptions and it literally made these images. It did not. These are not images that found online. The AI created these from scratch. So, you know, a photo of a raccoon wearing an astronaut helmet looking out of the window at night, it made that picture. Or the Toronto skyline with Google, with Google Brain logo written in fireworks. Or an art gallery displaying Monet paintings. The art gallery is flooded. Robots are going around the art gallery on paddle boats. You know, you literally just type in a description of what you want the picture to be. And it goes out and it creates a small cactus wearing a straw hat and neon sunglasses in the Sahara Desert. So 
the level, the level of understanding that's going on here is just phenomenal because it's not just breaking down the syntax of the question. It's understanding what those things mean, how they relate to each other. And then it's pulling from all the images that exist, you know, online and saying, okay, I'm going to generate a dog. I'm going to put sunglasses on it with a hat. I'm going to put it on a bike and I'm going to put it in Times Square. And it's creating things that have never existed before. It can also do it in styles. You can say, do this in a particular style as well. Um, and it can decide, you know, it can, you know, put them in, in like, and here's one where you could just kind of choose also, these are all pre-made, but, you know, you can say, I want an oil painting of a fuzzy painting panda wearing sunglasses and a black leather jacket riding on a bike on top of a mountain, you know, and it's, these are obviously pre-created. It's just letting you see how, how those are generated. Um, so right now it is something that is not publicly available. It's not like, oh, anybody can just have access because they are trying to figure out, as we say, the societal impact, you know, if you can just generate images that have never existed before based upon what you're saying, we want to make sure that that doesn't get abused. So they have limited it in some ways. Um, for example, you cannot put in actual real people's names. You can't be like, I want a picture of this celebrity or somebody like that. And they've also filtered out anything that would be considered uh, harmful or uh, more adult in nature. Uh, so you're not going to probably have knives and guns or as, as well as things that might be more, uh, you know, uh, adult imagery uh, in toxic language, as they say. So they have put limits on it in that sense. If you want to dig deeper into this, um, there is a, a blog post here as well from 9to5google that dives into it. But I think one of the easiest ways to really get a good grasp on this is this video. So um, I won't obviously play the video. I'll just bring it up and pause. What it. if I told oh, you? There you go. Sorry about that. Um, so this is a video that's about 15 minutes long, and it is a phenomenal dive into this. Uh, they uh, um, allowed some access to the tool. And uh, this video goes in and shows it working live, like actually just putting in a description and seeing what it generates. And it basically, I think it makes like 10 versions of what you asked for. And then you can pick whichever one out of there that, that you like. And so this is a, a really impressive video to see it in action. So, um, so here we go, <laughs> you know, uh, again, incredibly powerful. But it raises a lot of questions like, you know, we have already, it's already sometimes challenging enough to know what is real, <laughs> you know, to, to have students understand how to evaluate information they see online. That's already a challenge enough <laughs> to, to figure that out. This just raises the bar even further when we realize how easy it is going to be to create images that look realistic and maybe have never actually happened. They have not existed. Uh, I think a lot of cool things here too, for creativity. Uh, that's amazing <laughs> to be able to generate this. Um, but uh, wanted to yeah throw that out there as an example of this, this next level of artificial intelligence where it's, it's, it's now going into creativity. And, and building things based upon what you have, have requested. So really impressive. All right. Well, this is getting us very close to the end of our updates. I think the last thing I had in the updates before we 
move into our next section, um, as I did um, notice this today, um, uh, it was posted yesterday, but I noticed it today, um, that Google Sites has gotten another update. Um, and now the new version of Google Sites does allow for full page embedding. In the past, when you embedded something into Google Sites, oh, that's kind of a small, I didn't know, I thought that might get bigger here. Let me zoom in here. In the past, when you would embed something into Google Sites, the embedding would fit in the page as like, you know, a, a small embed in the page. There's now uh, an option where it's rolling out that when you go to embed something, you can do a full page embed so that when you click on the link, instead of it opening up the embedding inside of the page, it'll actually open up as a full page view of that embedded content. So that's nice. Good to, good to see that as a, another option in Google Sites. All right, guys. So that gets us to the bottom of our what's new. We are gonna switch gears into show and tell here. Uh, but before we do that, John, did you see any other questions, comments, thoughts? Is there something you would like to comment on any of this or do we miss anything before we move on? Rebecca Benedict um, said, if you applied for the practice sets uh, beta, they've sent out a Google form to sign up for various sessions over the summer. So. Uh, the people that have signed up for that beta will know who they are and um, look out for that email. And Peggy asks, would the interview warm-up work in any field? I don't see why not. So when you go to, yes, that is one of the first questions it asks you. So when you go, I did play with this a little bit. Um, when you go there, if I were to come here and say I wanted to start um, the interview process, one of the first things it does is it says, oh, what field go. do you want to practice for? Now, there is a general option. So yes, these are very tech-oriented. Data analytics, e-commerce, IT support, project management, UX design. But you can just say general, and then it's not specific to those fields. So those are IT-related. But this really could be any, any field you want to practice the interview with. Yeah. And as far as practice sets, yes, I got that email. Uh, actually, I got two emails recently on practice sets. I did get the email with the upcoming trainings, and I signed up for one of those. I did get a second email just recently um, saying they are now starting to open up the beta to those who have um, uh, applied for it, and they asked for some additional information. And so I uh, had to go in and put in like, you know, how many students do we have in our domain? How many teachers do we have in our domain? So those who applied for the beta, looks like we're getting closer to the beta providing access to uh, folks who want to try that out. So hopefully in the coming weeks, we'll get in and get to actually play with it firsthand. And I'll just say on the Google sites, uh, they continue to add some really um, nice extra features to that and um, in our organization we have moved quite a lot of our content off uh, other content management systems and we're just doing them with google sites so um, it's uh, it's becoming a really robust tool to use i like the idea of a, a full page embed uh, i often will embed a, a google doc um, on a web page because you can have tables and you can have other uh, formatting that's in there, and then uh, you can share that with uh, people who make updates to it, and then it, it's automatically updated on the web page. Uh, yes, yeah, that's great. 
Awesome. Well, hey, let's move into our next portion of the meeting, which is our show and tell. This is a chance for us to share anything cool we came across recently. So not, you know, like the updates and the news and the new features, but uh, blog posts or uh, new Chrome extensions or neat tools that we've come across recently here. Um, John, let me go ahead and um, let you start if, uh, unless I'm putting you on the spot, if you're, if you're okay. Um, yeah, is there anything you wanted to, well, would you like me to unshare the screen or were you just going to chat about? I can just, I can just chat about okay. them. Well, actually, um, yeah, I do want to share one thing because uh, we had talked uh, at the last meeting about using the, uh, the Gmail spaces feature and right. we did actually make a group and I just wanted to point out a couple of things when okay. you're making one of those well spaces. let me let oh. me do this let me stop sharing and let me make sure that I may have to go into the advanced sharing options and make sure that you're able to there you go so if you would like to share uh you can certainly go ahead and do we so go. now okay so I can show you a couple so this is um when we were talking about uh, doing that this is the new interface in um Gmail, and so you know you have the four areas here, uh, and you can, if you want to um, turn that off, you can. Uh, and then I'm in the spaces area, which is the third one down here. And uh, this is, and I have several spaces, but the one that I'm in here is this GG Ohio. So these were uh, all of the uh, the conversations that we had between the people that were at the ITIP conference together. And then as we were in a session, we would share one of these. And so um, this was uh, uh, Christy uh, had shared something here, uh, online PD with Google. Um, there was uh, some other, there's a Google Expeditions uh, session about life after Google Expeditions, which was a good one. Now, what's interesting is if you go to the files section, everything that is shared, was shared in the stream there is now listed as a file that everybody then has access to. So if you're using this uh, spaces as a professional learning community uh, based around an event like going to a conference. So if there are five of you from a school district who are all going to the same conference, then this is a way for you to pool your notes and resources and ideas and uh, chat and even arrange where you're going to go to dinner that evening. And you can do it all within the comfort of Gmail um, as in a, in, in a space there. Now, one of the gotchas I'll just show you when you make a new space, I'm going to go over here and come down to say create space. When this comes up, you can, uh, one of the first ones is it says the space is restricted. And uh, that would mean that um, only people that you add it uh, can, can be in this group. We don't have the ability to make it public, but I can make it in my case would be my organization, Nawaka. So uh, you do actually have to add everybody into the space name there in order for that to work. I don't know how many people can be in a space, but we had about 20, nearly 30 people, I think, in our, uh, in our GEG space. The second thing is I didn't, I forgot to turn on threaded replies. Oh, oh there it is, allow people outside your organization to join. So you, you would wanna check that, but use threaded replies. Um, if we go actually back to uh, the one that we have here, Threads would be uh, different sections in here that you could have. If I go to one of the other ones, um, uh, does this one have 
uh, maybe the McCall one, I think that, yeah, you see how down here it says new thread. So you can actually create separate threads. So if you maybe had one thread that you were discussing things on the first day of the conference, and then you could make a new thread for the second day. So, um, and, and I hope they add more features to this. I really like the fact that you can be in here and uh, you can be communicating with people. And I have, we've started to use them within my organization. And even for like, I'm gonna talk about in a second, the PLCO a little bit more, the Professional Learning Collaborative of Ohio. Um, the three of us that are managers of that, we have our own management space. And then we have uh, another space here, which is for all of the people that are content creators across uh, three organizations. And there's about uh, 11 or 12 people in that space. And then if you go up and you just wanna have chats with people, then they've nicely organized all of this there. So hopefully uh, the new Gmail interface is rolled out to everybody. And if you haven't taken advantage of spaces, then uh, you can certainly check it out. Um, we have also been experimenting with, um, when you have a space, you can add um, a meet or a screen share directly to that space. And so we've added uh, like a Google Meet and then everybody clicks on the link and then you're in a Google Meet together. And it opens up in a separate tab um, and I'm still getting used to the idea of, uh, that's the difference say we're using Zoom for this, um, for recording here because uh, at the time Meet was missing features, but I think we've all come to the conclusion that Meet has uh, pretty much caught up with Zoom as far as its feature set. So um, I think, getting used to managing windows and, and doing those uh, kinds of things when you're in a Google Meet uh, is still a little bit of a challenge uh, when you see it combined with, say, spaces. So that was, um, that was the conversation about that. Then the second thing I wanted to, to share was um, we are going to be, uh, and it should be later today, uh, opening up Google Certified Educator Level 1 uh, on the PLCO website. And I will put um, a link uh, in the uh, agenda here. It's not ready. I haven't been given the go ahead. I'm just sort of preemptively telling you um, that um, that's going to be available. So for all educators in Ohio right now in the beta, uh, they will be able to register and take, and it amounts to about 12 hours of, um, um, of seat time and you can get graduate credit uh, but it's on that on that platform. Level one, we've been working on for some months now. Level two has been available. Um, and these uh, cohorts will run from um, uh, now until August. And then in August, we're actually going to be rolling out the brand new platform. So and I say um, we are currently in beta, which means um, if something breaks, then uh, I guess we don't have to say sorry. We just say it's in beta and we're working on it. So there's been a few um, things that we've been working on to try and get everything right. But um, the people that have been in the courses uh, really like it. And uh, if ever there was a time, folks, if you are not a Google certified uh, level one or level two um, educator, uh, now is the time to take some coursework and uh, take those tests and get those cool educator badges that you can put in your email. Um, and so I encourage everybody, if you're interested in that, um, that, that will be opening up and uh, just watch your local professional learning network uh, on Twitter and in other places where we will post uh, when these courses then become available generally for everyone in Ohio. 
That's excellent. Yeah, and uh, certainly there have been some changes to the uh, certification exams. I think most people are aware of that by now, but if for any reason somebody's not, uh, do, do be aware that uh, the educator exams now are um, just 35 questions each. Uh, it's uh, uh, multiple choice and drag and drop questions. Uh, rather than the scenarios that we uh, used to have. Uh, uh, if you want to get some uh, additional resources on the certification, um, you certainly can head over to uh, my Control Alt Achieve site, and with two clicks, you can get to uh, some certification resources. From the Control Alt Achieve site, if you click Resources, that's click one. And if you scroll down, there's a section called Google Certifications, that's click two. With those two clicks, you'll get to a spot with um, uh, certification resources. These are all provided by Google. Every one of these are from Google. So it's uh, things like the uh, level one and level two basic tasks, um, a skills checklist, uh, course outlines, uh, FAQs, how to register, what to expect in the test. Uh, Google has done a really nice job putting all of these together. So this is a good way to uh, get some additional support related think, to that. I think it's, it's a shame that um, they haven't been able to keep the scenarios in there because I always thought they were one yeah. of the most valuable. Uh, they force people to actually do the tasks and learn how to actually do it and it immerses them in the technology which is a really good way to learn it i totally agree with you john completely agree with you there um it is a shame uh maybe the scenarios will come back at some point in the future uh, i think that was a really great way to show your uh your learning and mastery of these skills but um, and I, still, and I will, I will yeah. tell you that if, if people do um, get into the PLCO courses, we do have scenarios in there. We have things for work products. So you will be expected to make a Google site and take a screenshot of it and share it with the instructor. So uh, Excellent. You, you do get immersed in the technology. And I, we really think that that's important. Very good. Uh, I did see a question, John, you might have an answer to since you are you are our spaces expert here. Uh, Susan said, uh, any way to move an email to spaces to track conversations on projects or do I need to create a space and copy things over? Is there integration between like being in Gmail, having a message and then moving that into a space? I haven't tried dragging and dropping and because of the way that the um, they're in two separate sections in Gmail, I don't yeah. think so. For example, and I think it would be great, for example, if you could access or you could maybe pin a space over in the sidebar in the same way that you have the, the to-do list and you can drag an email across to the to-do list and turn that into a to-do list item. Uh, but yes, what I've been doing is just copying and pasting. Okay. Um, across there. And there's really nothing, no way to go between uh, chats and spaces either. Although the same people, you can see um, if somebody, so if you're in a space and, uh, and you post something, it gets a little, uh, little green um, diamond shape um, uh, icon there to show that you just recently posted that. And Oh, thank you. And then sometimes uh, what, what, what you end up, um, what ends up happening is um, if you look over in the, 
um, in the chat, you can see there's obviously the little green dots next to the people who are active and online. So uh, it would be kind of nice to have um, a little bit more of an idea of the uh, if if people are actually um, like the feedback um, in, in, for example, when you're chatting with people, uh, um, it'll actually say such and such is is um, is typing. And so it actually knows that the other. So in other words, you're waiting for a response. But I think that a space is probably more considered to be uh, like asynchronous in that you can post things in there, but not necessarily uh, like you're chatting back and forth like it like it is in um, uh, in, in the chat feature. Uh, people tend to use it's not like instant messaging. It's it's somewhere between instant messaging and and chatting somewhere like that. Excellent. Well, you know, I would say uh, it's still a pretty new tool. So um, I know it's been around for a little while, but just uh, relatively compared to other Google tools, Spaces is is, is newer. So uh, we very well may see more integration as time goes on. So keep an eye out. Yeah, we may be able to very easily from Gmail pop something over in Spaces eventually uh, as they continue to develop that as a Slack competitor uh, tool. Dan Nielsen asked in the chat if you can drag things from tasks into spaces, and I just tried it and you can't. Okay. Well, again, good chance that's going to be something that they continue to develop uh, with it being a, a newer tool. Well, John, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, as far as other show and tell things, keep in mind that if you guys have something you would like to share, there is a section called GEG Community Show and Tell. Please feel free to throw things in there if you've got uh, something to give a shout out to. Um, since Stephanie and Sarah are not with us today, uh, we'll just remind you that they both have uh, great resources that they share. Um, Sarah has her Tech You Can Do weekly newsletter, uh, and Stephanie has her weekly update. And so uh, if you have not connected with them uh, through those, please do. Those are great resources where Stephanie and Sarah share uh, really valuable things each week. Uh, so definitely plug into those if you have not. Um, as far as my show and tell, uh, I'm not going to go through all of these things here. Just uh, mention a couple of things that got bulleted. We already talked about the close reading activity with drop down chips. So that one we've already taken care of. Um, I did have um, another uh, uh, recorded webinar recently, uh, and this was part of the Did You Know series. So there, there's two links here. The first one is just for specifically the, uh, the one on Google Meet. The other link further down is the full set of webinars in the Did You Know series. So the one I did not too long ago was um, a 30-minute uh, webinar for Google on making the most out of Google Meet. Uh, and so this dives into um, some of the features that maybe we haven't always poked a stick at. Maybe, you know, as we've been in Meet, we haven't taken advantage of all of these features, but it's recording, live streaming, polls, Q&A, whiteboarding, breakout rooms, live captions, and attendance tracking. We also talked about some new features coming soon that Google had announced. Uh, so that's a pretty quick 30-minute uh, uh, session that you can catch. That again, though, is part of the full set of Did You Know webinars. And so if you want to see the full list of all of them, that's just a couple more bullet points down here. Uh, that takes you out to a blog post I did a while back 
back when these were first announced. So there are eight total uh, sessions in the full series and the series I believe is done. I think we've got, well, we may have one more coming up, but mine are done. So I had four of them in the series of eight. Um, the first one was about uh, things you can do in doc slides and sheets that you might not have known about. So some, you know, lesser known, you know, uh, tools and tricks and tips related to docs, slides and sheets. That was a great session. Then I did one on getting the most out of Google Classroom that uh, went into things like differentiation, topics, rubrics, originality reports, comment banks and such. Then we did the one on Google Meet. Then I just earlier this week did uh, one on Chromebook accessibility features where we looked at all of the awesome built-in accessibility tools. So for any of those, these YouTube links will get you directly to the recordings. Those were the live links, but now of course those are all the recorded links. Um, or you can go to the full Did You Know website here still and see them all there as well. In addition to the ones that I did, you can also see the other ones that, uh, that Jason Hilt did. Uh, we kind of divided those up between the two of us. Uh, his were a little bit more on the admin side, more on the uh, security and configuration and admin side, and mine was more on the instructional side of things there. So uh, let's see what else uh, recently. Um, these are not new posts, these next two. These are just friendly reminders because it's the end of the year. These are from previous years. Uh, the first one was uh, uh, using Google Takeout for schools. If you are retiring, if you are moving to a new school district, or for students, graduating seniors. Um, this is a, a blog post I did a while back that talks about how you can use takeout for schools to migrate your Drive and Gmail from your school account to either another school account or to a personal uh, Google account. Uh, this is different than the regular Google Takeout. I always wanna clarify that. There is a tool called Google Takeout this is Google Takeout for schools. It is not the same tool. They're, they're vastly different. And I've seen people get confused about that. Google Takeout is a commercial tool that they do. Uh, it's not for schools. And it basically exports everything into non-Google format. So like with Google Takeout, it turns documents into PDFs or Word docs. You know, It turns everything into something non-Google. That's, I don't find that terribly valuable. That's more like, I'm leaving Google. I don't want you anymore. Google, turn everything I have <laughs> into Microsoft format or PDFs. You know, that's Google Takeout. Like, and I'm done. I'm out of here. Google Takeout for schools, totally different. This literally copies all of your emails and your drive files into the new account and everything stays Googly. It puts all of your emails into a happy little folder in your other, in your other Gmail account. It takes all of your drive files and puts them in a happy little folder in your other account. Nothing gets converted. Everything is preserved in Google format. It's totally free. Um, and it's a great tool. So this is a, a walkthrough on how to do that transfer. Just make sure you're using takeout for schools, not the uh, commercial version of takeout. Uh, and then end of year Google Classroom cleanup tips. This is again, just a perennial, you know, one, I mentioned this all, all the time, you know, it's like, hey, it's that time of year again. So just some tips and tricks to think about for cleaning up your classroom to end up one school year and get it ready for the next school year. So thought I'd just throw those in there. Uh, beyond that, 
A couple of quick shout outs. Um, I was really uh, honored to get a chance to be included in um, two recent uh, uh, collections of amazing educators. Uh, the first one is from um, the uh, from EdTech Magazine. Uh, they uh, uh, listed 30 of um, their favorite uh, K-12 IT influencers. Um, and I was really honored to be included on this list. But i am got some really good company in here because it's not just me. If you scroll down a little further, you will see Stephanie Howell. There she is. <laughs> so how about that? We got two GEG Ohio people <laughs> on the list. So uh, congratulations to Stephanie. Very well earned. Uh, so awesome to see you on this list as well. And there's a lot of great people on this list. Uh, Monica Burns, good friend of mine. Uh, Leslie Fisher, uh, Jen Hall. Oh, love Jen Hall. So many amazing people on here. So um, if you're looking for more people to, uh, Ben well, yes. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Awesome folks. Um, so if you're looking for more people to connect with, um, this is a great way to see who else to connect with on Twitter, as well as dig into their podcasts or their blogs or their YouTube channels or whatever else they may share. So uh, congratulations to everybody on there. I am absolutely uh, honored and humbled to be included uh, with all of you in that list. Um, the other one was from Rise Magazine, and this was a periodic table of U.S. ed tech educators to follow. So this is a much bigger list. Um, and whoop, sorry about that. The link must have been from Facebook originally. There we go. So there's the actual link it gets you out to. There we go. Um, so yeah, this was shared on Facebook and I had copied it over. So sorry if that link uh, runs you uh, through a different way. Uh, yeah, here, I can, I can fix the link here. Let me let me put the direct link in. Sorry about that, guys. I still had the, it still had the original Facebook link in. So let me put in, there you go. There's the direct link. That'll, that'll avoid you having to uh, run through that uh, redirect there. So um, this is from Rise Magazine. And um, to be able to see the article, you do have to you know, sign up, but it's totally free. There's no, it's, there's no charge or anything like that. Uh, but this is a, a, a very nice magazine, very nice ed tech magazine that they put out. And one of the things that they have in there is a periodic table of, uh, of uh, US ed tech educators to follow. So there's like, you know, a hundred plus people. And there's a lot of names you're going to see on there. A lot of people you're going to be like, oh, I know that person. That's awesome. Um, and um, in that one, I believe um, I, I, I compared it to uh, I compared it to the Astro Periodic Table. And uh, I think I'm barium. I think I'm uh, what's atomic number? Uh, atomic number 82. I think I'm in spot 82. Nope, 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 not 82. It was something else. I think it was barium, which is uh, barium atomic 56. Maybe that's what it was. I think I was. I think I was barium. I can't remember for sure right offhand, but I was comparing where I sat on that one. So again, I was very honored to be included in that periodic table of U.S. educators to follow. Please do pull that up, and uh, and uh, you can grab your your free uh, subscription to that EdTech magazine and find again loads of other awesome people to connect with and follow. So, thanks so much for uh, both of those um, inclusions in those amazing lists of educators. 
Um, outside of that, uh, just a few things to draw attention to. Uh, nice blog post here on how to enable dark mode in Google Docs um, for Android and for the web. Um, a, another uh, a web app. Uh, there's a lot of these out there. This one's called Whiteboard. Um, spelled without an H. <laughs> it lets you uh, sketch out your ideas really quick. Nice, free, quick, easy to use whiteboard tool. Uh, speaking of periodic tables, <laughs> this is not of people, but of Chrome extensions. This is a periodic table of accessibility tools. So tools to help with speech to text, text to speech, readability, writing, productivity, brain breaks, and more. And then display note. Um, came across this one recently. Uh, uh, Richard Byrne had shared this from his Free Tech for Teachers site about a free tool to broadcast your screen to other students' computers in an easy, uh, easy to do manner. So all of those had caught my eye recently and thought I would share each of those out. Um, good stuff. All right, good, good, good stuff. All right, I think that's it for the show and tell unless anything else got added. I don't see anything else in the uh, community area there. Um, anything to add, John, before we move on to Q&A? Yeah, I, I was just going to mention uh, when I was going over the um, what, what I learned at ITIP, uh, I, I just put the link in there. It's uh, 123apps.com. Um, and uh, there is um, a whole suite of different, uh, I think it might have been uh, our friend Eric Griffith that um, sure. uh, showed this to me. So um, it, it's, um, uh, there are some really interesting kind of tools there that, that you might find that people should uh, certainly add a bookmark to that and check it out. But um, like some of the audio tools uh, and the video tools that are there, I was in a session he was doing, uh, talking about uh, more creative projects for students and some of the tools that you could use for that. So um, uh, there, there is all kinds of different converters and things there. Uh, I believe it's all free to use. So uh, people should check that one out. Very handy. Yeah, great for some PDF tools, audio tools, video tools. Very nice to have those. Thanks. Good stuff. All right. Well, well, let's move on to Q&A, see if we've got some questions that uh, we can address. Uh, again, if you have answers to these, please do what others have done. I see a lot of folks have added in some answers. Thank you guys so much for contributing uh, resources to the questions people had. Uh, one of the first questions was, um, are there any technology curriculums out there that you'd recommend using for K-12 that include lesson plans, projects, et cetera? I did go ahead and throw in a link to apply digital skills. Now it is a curriculum. It is lessons. Uh, it's not structured like you must go, you know, in a certain order, you can pick and choose from it. So if you're looking for a curriculum, that's a little bit more like, okay, this is week one, week two, week three, week four. That's not what you're going to see here. You would still have to decide what order you want to put these in, but applied digital skills is amazing. So this is totally free from Google. If you head there and go to the lessons, you'll see we are at 199 lessons. We are one shy of 200 lessons. And these lessons are all tech integrated lessons 
that cover loads of topics like creating a presentation, writing a choose your own adventure story, uh, creating a budget in Google Sheets, making a resume, understanding your digital footprint, making quizzes, building healthy digital habits, making a scrapbook, you know, all of these, you know, hands-on uh, project-based tech activities. You can come over to the left and you can choose what age level you're specifically looking for. You can also choose which tool you're wanting to explore or what topic you're wanting to cover. For any one of these that you go into, they have pre-made videos, so you do not have to prepare. You do not have to be an expert on these. They've already got all the videos created. The videos are typically about five minutes long each, and each unit will have, each lesson will have, you know, from, you know, three, four, five videos up to dozens of videos, depending upon how complicated the lesson is, and it'll tell you how much time to dedicate for each of these lessons. Um, if you really want to go deeper into it, I do have a blog post here uh, that I did on applied digital skills where I've got a 10 minute overview video and then more detailed directions here, because it's not just a collection of these lessons. It also is a management system. You can uh, link this with your Google account and you can use this to push out the lessons to the students and to monitor their progress and it integrates with classroom as well. So it's a great way to not just have access to the curriculum, but also to be able to uh, monitor and manage it as you work through it. Somebody else has added EverFi in there. Thank you very much, uh, whoever just dropped that in. So please, if you guys know of other tech curriculums that you recommend, please do the same thing and put those links into the response there. That would be fantastic. Well, I, I didn't put it in there, Eric. It was the anonymous hamster, but um, okay. I, I do use, uh, or I've, I've, I've been helping some schools with EverFi. Um, EverFi is free. It's, it's sponsored by uh, uh, companies like Fifth Third Bank and uh, the NFL are, are among some of the sponsors that pay for the content. And they do have some really excellent coursework that you can give to your students. Um, and it's just a matter of getting in contact with them um, and helping to get the accounts set up, but it is all free, uh, free for educators. It's, uh, they started out doing financial, um, financial literacy education. I remember that, that, yeah. That, that was sponsored by the banks, but they have STEM stuff. They have all kinds of stuff there. That's great. No, I, you know, I knew about their financial literacy portion. I did not realize that they had broadened out. So thank you for uh, clarifying that. I'm so glad to hear that. And Nicole gives a thumbs up to it. Say they have uh, their middle, she has their middle schools using it. Excellent. All right. Um, next, there was a question about um, looking to start a technology class using Raspberry Pis and was wondering if people had good resources for that. And somebody has put in a link for that. So thank you very much for adding that link in there. Uh, along the lines of curriculum, somebody was looking for some digital citizenship lessons, specifically kindergarten through fifth grade. And there looks like we got a bunch here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so dig on into those. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of great things there. Um, I recently had done a blog post um, called Fake News, Evaluating Online Information. And it covers a lot of stuff, but I do have a section in there where I specifically talk not just about, you know, fake websites and reverse image searching and fact checking tools, 
but a section um, on uh, games and on lessons. And so there's a lot of uh, these sort of resources that you can pull from there as well. But it looks like uh, folks have added many, many, many excellent ones in there. I, I put the tech matrix in there, Eric, and I think oh, we talked about that earlier in the year, but um, it's not just uh, the digital citizenship stuff. It's also um, online uh, tech skills and um, those kind of, it's, it's a Google. Um, Wonderful. It's a Google sheet. But um, some some of the especially when you're trying to work out in what you know what uh, you do introduce to them in kindergarten. Right. If you scroll down the, uh, the the digital literacy stuff is at the bottom there. But um, so where do you begin to introduce and talk about? Um, uh, so like second grade is a lot of those things there. But that that if people have um, ideas about things that they would want to add to this, this is something that I share with. Um, that I've been putting together for a couple of years now. So um, if people have ideas about other things that need to be in there, or if we would need to change any of the pacing of this, uh, it is what we in my organization use to help uh, when we begin uh, training and working with the teachers and looking at what tech skills the kids need to have and what uh, at what grade you would begin that that process, and so it starts with kindergarten, as she's indicated in the um, in the question, or he's indicated in the question. So um, it's uh, it's an important thing, and, and any feedback that people can give would be great. Excellent. Thanks for including that. That's great. Uh, next up, um, is there a video or blog post you'd recommend for someone who wishes to get acquainted with practice sets? I'm sure there's a bunch of great ones out there. I did throw in the one that I had done, um, uh, which was, uh, I had pulled that up a little while ago. Uh, this is a, um, uh, of an instructional video, an overview video, and an interview. So the first portion of this, like the first, I don't know, 10 minutes, goes through how practice sets works. And then the next 10 or 15 minutes is an interview with Taryn Sullivan from the practice sets team. Um, this gives uh, an overview here as well in written format, but um, yeah, those um, that would be at least one resource to get you started in how practice sets works. Uh, and then um, where would I find the link for Google trainer certification? Excellent. Somebody put that in. I will go ahead and also throw in the uh, page, my resource page on certification uh, resources. Uh, let me grab this and I can drop that in as well for you. There you go. Um, this page here on my blog, um, all of these are Google created resources. I just pulled them together on one page. So this gets you to the certification website, the training course, uh, the task cards, um, the outlines, the skills checklists, things like that as well. Good stuff, folks. All right, well, it looks like we got through all of our questions. Um, so at this point, we'll start to pull things together for our, our wrap up. Um, I guess I would say, John, if you see anything that we've missed, if there's comments or questions that we missed, or if somebody has added anything uh, new that we need to address, please feel free to give me a shout out and let me know if there's anything that we are missing. But otherwise, um, I'm going to do a little bit of wrap up here for you guys. First of all, I want to thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate you taking the time to learn with us and to share your resources. 
uh, is just uh, such a valuable experience for all of us and is valuable. Thank you so much for everything that people contribute to make it so. Um, as a reminder, if you did not sign in, we do have on page two a sign-in link. This allows me to send you a certificate of attendance for these meetings. So page two of the agenda, you can pop out to that uh, Google form and sign up. And other than that, like I said, it's probably going to be a couple of months before we get back together. Uh, we typically take the summer off with the uh, with the meetings. So uh, my, my recommendation to you is to make sure you've joined the GEG Ohio email distribution list. That way you can stay up to date on all of the discussions during the summer and announcements of upcoming meetings and so forth. And of course, you can always head back over to the GEG Ohio website, which we will, of course, update as we get our uh, calendar set up for next school year. Um, and other than that, I just want to thank John, especially for taking time out today to co-pilot and help out with all of this. Thanks to everybody for being here. Anything uh, to uh, add, John, as we wrap up? I, it was my pleasure to be here, Eric, and uh, I look forward to um, <clears throat> whatever we come up with um, and the new innovations, because we know it's Google and it's, it's going to change. So um, as um, and I, I would encourage the educators out there, if there is something that uh, you would like to see them fix. Don't forget the little, um, that there's a little question mark um, icon that you can click on in Google Classroom and in other places to give feedback. And Google reads every bit of feedback that, that you give them. And that what, that's what helps to make these products better. So uh, I wish everybody uh, here in the Northern Hemisphere a wonderful summer. Looking forward to some warm weather. And for those that in the Southern Hemisphere, uh, I'm sorry, uh, in six months, you'll be in the same position that we are. So uh, you've got that to look forward to. Have a great summer. Thanks, everybody. Take care.